Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Before we get started with our episode, we wanted to remind you of a few ways that you can support and connect with the podcast. If you haven't already, don't forget to rate and review this podcast wherever you are listening. You don't even need to leave a review. You can just go in and give us a five-star review. It really helps us continue the podcast growth and is greatly appreciated. Also, don't forget to connect with us on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Conversations on Dance and Twitter at Convo on Dance. Sign up for our email list to receive an email notification each time we release a new episode. Click the link in the description of this episode to sign up now. Now, let's get into COD. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. So today we are joined by one of our um, longtime favorites, Alistair McCauley. Thank you for coming on. Um, I wish that I could say that the subject matter is as um, joyous as it's been in the past, you know, talking about Serenade and uh, other great classics. But um, today, the reason why we wanted to have you on is to do an episode centered on how the war in Ukraine is affecting artists, particularly dancers. And it's something that you've taken um uh, a real, um, you, you really spent a lot of time getting into and um, kind of cataloging responses to. And um, so we just wanted to get your your take on a lot of these really hard issues. Um, and thank you. Um, what a distressing, appalling, tragic situation. And I'm sure I began feeling just the same as you and most people what on earth can I do? I'm just helpless sitting in the West while yes. people are dying and having their homes bombed. And I think I absolutely wrote a social media post. As you know, I do a lot of social media, but normally I can't call it, comment on politics because I'm helpless. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, my first post was to say, I'm just sitting here like many people feeling useless in the West. Mm-hmm. And, and suffering by proxy. And then I got this email from Alexei Ratmansky, 
which is addressed to 50 people. Um, I won't tell you the names, but they include... Uh, they're mainly people of note in the dance world. When I look at the rest of them, I think I'm very lucky to be considered one of them because I'm no longer the critic of a leading newspaper or any newspaper. But it reads simply like this. Dear friends, dear colleagues, please forgive me for writing a mass email to all of you, people I greatly admire. In the light of the latest catastrophic events in Ukraine, I ask you to consider saying a few words in support of the Ukrainian people who now fight for their freedom and defend their land. This would mean a great deal to the artistic community in Ukraine and also in Russia, where it is dangerous to show any support for Ukraine. I would understand if you, for some reason, prefer to abstain from publicly speaking out. Of course I will respect your decision. My heart is heavy. My family in Kiev spend their time in shelter. There are hundreds of dead people already after one day of war. This is February the 25th, he writes, mm -hmm. and it won't stop soon. Please support Ukraine. I thank you from the bottom of my heart, Alexei Ratmansky. Mm -hmm. um, Can you tell us for some of our listeners if they have kind of missed... Um... Ratmansky's story within all of this, that his um, family lives in Ukraine, as you just mentioned, and then what he did right at the beginning. Like zillions of people, is half Ukrainian and half Russian. Mm -hmm. I think his grandmother, maybe both grand or two grandparents are from Ukraine, particularly, I think, from Kiev. And I'm not sure whether it's an uncle and cousins who are in Ukraine, and that may be for the same for his wife, Tatiana. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if he's entirely Ukrainian at all. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, family and people he loves who are blood relatives he knows. Uh, so that's his connection. And I think that's so for so many Russian people. The two states had so many connections for so long. Right. Which is, of course, in the aggressive Putin mode, why Putin feels he can reinvade because they like to claim it's ours anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, we're actually, it's it's Kiev that should logically be reinvading Russia because they were the ones who started the state that is now Russia, but nobody told Putin that when he did Russian history. Hmm. Um, likewise, by the same logic, Britain could reinvade America and quite a lot of the rest. Sure, sure. Right. So what was the first thing that Ratmansky did very publicly um, in response to what was going on? Um, well, this letter was the first thing, and then he simply posted, and at various points he has reposted, in particular on social media, an image of uh, of how geographically, how valiant uh, Ukraine is, because it shows a map of the land mass of Russia, which is huge, and this fairly tiny state, which is Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And you just see this tininess of Ukraine and the hugeness of the former of the Soviet Union. But he was like, in Russia at the time, right, when the war started. Is that what happened? And then he... I didn't even realize that when he wrote to us. Um, mm -hmm. I wonder if he wrote that while he was leaving Russia. We now know from a wonderful story in the New York Times by Marina Haas that he was making a ballet to music by Bach for the Bolshoi, and his wife, Tatiana, called him, I think, from the home in New York to say, uh, you better get out straight away because Russia has invaded Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of Russians, he managed to get out, um, in his case, fairly fast. Um, and then he started to write more about it. Um, 
I'm not going to tell you who the other 49 people are on his list, but it is interesting that some of them have been active. I think no, it won't surprise you to say that one of them is Mikhail Brizhnikov, who has written and posted more than once uh, with, in, of course, all the intelligent passion and integrity and despair about Russia that you may expect. It's all to do with why he got out of the Russia he knew, which he feels has not greatly changed. It connects also to why Ratmansky got out of Russia in 2008. You will remember he was the artistic director of the Bolshoi um, from 2004 to 2008. And he left quietly in his unfussy way uh, and looked for a job, particularly in America. As we know, he is now the artistic artist in residence at American Ballet Theatre. Um, he began that post in 2009, and he's now, I think, I hope I'm counting correctly, in his 13th year, it might be 14th. Um, and as you well know, he's probably the most prestigious and ubiquitous choreographer in ballet now. He's working in Australia, he's working in Russia, he's working and he does at least one creation for American Ballet Theatre, often a full-length creation each year. He works about once to be two years for New York City Ballet, other, other um, productions around America, not least his recent February Swan Lake for Miami City Ballet. This is an extraordinary man with a sense of history like beyond any other person, I think, in ballet at the moment. He's like that anyway, but now we realize it's a sense of, sense of political history. I don't know if any of you heard the interview he did for the New York University Center for Ballet and the Arts maybe seven years ago. I remember, I'm speaking from memory and I haven't gone back to it, but my memory is that he's interviewed in the New York Public Library on 42nd Street. And in his quiet, gentle way, he just says, Tatiana and I and our son have left Russia or left Russia five years ago uh, because we were so anxious and dismayed by the way that Putin is changing the Russia we so respect. And then he quietly said, we three are just trying to build a little Russia of our own. And for someone who goes back then and works in Russia, quite a brave thing to say, right? I mean, for anyone to speak out. Well, he is loved and respected there, and they've managed to always give him so far the right conditions. Mm-hmm. And knowing then, they'd probably still think that they could. But he's now said, I am very unlikely ever to work in Russia again as long as Putin is in charge. It's a question of his self-respect. Right. Could we talk for a little bit about, um, naturally, we're going to eventually get to Ukrainian artists and how this is impacting them. But in Russia, um, you know, I'm, I guess a lot of artistic worlds are famous for um, being fairly liberal. And one might imagine that there would be more dissent amongst, um, you know, a ballet company, not not a, a large pro-Putin flank there necessarily. Um, but what sort of limitations do they have in terms of speaking out? And, um, you know, do we think that there will be others falling in uh, Olga Smirnova's footsteps and just leaving um, the country entirely. I did want to say something really quickly. I did want to mention what day we're recording this also. So this is March 18th. Things are changing very quickly. So just to mention, this will come out next week. Um, This is the time period we're at right now in case things then change after this. Sorry, go ahead. Things keep developing day by day or hour by hour. Um, Yeah. Um, Well, I think obviously every artist in Russia has faced their own choice. And I don't want to blame any of those 
who haven't spoken out. I've known there are people, and the most prominent are the conductor Valery Gergiev, who has always been a friend of Putin's and sided with Putin. I don't think we should necessarily call him a collaborator, as some people have, um, because I don't. We don't know that he's supporting the particularly appalling policies of Putin on this matter. Right. He may feel I've had the I've had the dignity or whatever being promoted by Putin in other ways, and I'm not going to turn around now and bite the hand that has fed me and made me one of the less than half a dozen most prestigious conductors in the world. The same may be true of the soprano Anna Trebko. And I don't even quite know where she is, but she was singing mainly in Naples, Aida, and then was going, she cancelled a concert, I think, in the Netherlands at the time of the first week of the war, uh, and then simply said, I'm suspending my entire career from now. I am pro-peace. But she also supported, uh, posted an image of herself taking a bow with Gergiev, which many people widely felt meant that she's not only supporting Gergiev, but Putin. I don't know if she's gone back to Russia. She is partly now Austrian nationality. She has a complex. She's got a husband, but also by an earlier marriage, an autistic son. But she's got family in Russia. She may well, like many Russian artists, feel I cannot speak out against the country where my mother, my sister, my old friends are. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to decry any person in Russia who doesn't speak up or who seems to take a stand on Putin's side. We can all understand the circumstances. And if you're there, how on earth can you see the situation the way we do in the West? Sure. And they may, they may feel we don't see it the right way. Who knows? I mean, I, I couldn't believe some of those signs that, um, you know, that you see in the New York Times of Putin's face and then the text, which, of course, I don't understand. And then it's translated and it's just, um, you know, the, the, we are for the denazification of Ukraine, the denazification with a Jewish president, you know, it's just so like the, it's um, it's the propaganda is just so to us in the West looks very blatantly mm-hmm. wrong and, and ridiculous and offensive. But if you've been slowly fed that over time, let's think about a male dancer who's not so well known in America, but on social media alone is a major star. And in Europe and Russia, he's a huge star. And that is Sergei Polunin. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came up through the Royal Ballet, um, but he is really Ukrainian When he before he went to the Royal Ballet School. F- phenomenal, not really to my taste at all. But appallingly, years ago, he had Putin's face tattooed on the center of his chest, right on the, the, the breastbone. I remember this. Yes. It was a, I mean, it was a big deal, <laughs> big deal. when he came yeah. out with that. Yeah. What, um, what is his reaction, Ben? Has he said anything? I think he did it when... Putin had already, we're talking 2014, occupied parts of Ukraine anyway. Right, right. Yeah. We're trying, I I find it very hard to imagine, but we must imagine that some Ukrainians like Polunin feel that a leader like Putin is somehow more inspiring and more visionary and more connected to whatever they once thought thrilling about the old Russia than anything Ukraine themselves can do. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, if you look up on certain statistics, Russia is said to be the most corrupt state in Europe and Ukraine the second most corrupt. Maybe that if you're Ukrainian, you feel depressed by your amount of corruption and you can't quite see the kind of oligarchic corruption that goes on under 
Putin. Right. Um, it's really, it must be very confusing for them. I'm not sure that it's not confusing for us. I don't know how you can be entirely objective in any one place. Right. But nonetheless, uh, many Russian artists have chosen to speak out one way or another. And the most phenomenal, I'm just trying to trace that on my own social media posts, was the director of a theatre company in Moscow, who in the first week um, said, I am resigning because I cannot accept money. She ran a theatre company in Moscow. Um, I'm resigning because I cannot accept money from a murderer. That was mm. Fred. Wow. This is someone that, that's cho- that's staying in Russia. So so the, the consequences would be... I, I have huge. not been able to get out. I just don't know. Um, see if I can find uh, if anybody's got my social media. I've been posting all of this on Instagram and Facebook and a fair yes. bit on uh, Twitter also. Here we are, posted, I think, um, Monday, 28th of February. So very early on. Um, she's called Elena Kowalskaya, the director of Moscow's Zevolod Mayerhold State Theatre and Cultural Centre. And she announced her resignation in protest against the invasion of Ukraine. It's impossible, she says, to work for a murderer and collect a salary from him. Wow. An amazing statement. Now, since then, we've heard from other Russian artists. The one I find most ambiguous and perhaps poignant is the wonderful um, Mariansky male principal, um, Shkliarov. Is his first name Vladimir? Um, he created a wonderful role for Ratmansky more than 10 years ago in The Little Humpback Horse and really won when that came to New York, probably back in 2014 or 2011, even, I forget. Um, beautiful dancer. Um, and he simply quickly spoke up for peace. But if his social media post makes sense, he is just carrying on dancing at the Mariinsky and getting on with business. Having spoken up once for peace, he's just mm-hmm. carrying on. Sometimes I think he's reposting old dance images rather than what he's doing now. So I'm not... Interesting. Quite- so, Alistair, I wonder, um, Michael and I were talking a little bit about this before offline, that, you know, in the U.S., for example, if um, artists were to protest something, let's not even say it's something as significant as this, just something that wouldn't necessarily hold a lot of weight. Now, Russia is very different. They are so in enthralled with their ballet, with their arts, that it's a national pride for them. So when we see these artists standing up, it means it holds so much more weight than we could ever imagine here in the States or in in the West. Of course, we can't be in the mind of Putin or any of these people around him, but do you feel how significant do you feel it is when these dancers are leaving, like big names are leaving and going other places that some of them are speaking out? What does this mean to the culture there? I mean, I would imagine even just that protest by Shkidarov must have registered very powerfully with a lot of people around the Maransky. But now, as we know, is it just this Monday, we're speaking on Friday, that Olga Smirnova, who's about 30 years old and has been almost immediately from the beginning of her career, a prima ballerina at the Bolshoi. Um, she's married, or Vaganova trained, she's from St. Petersburg, and she was offered straight away positions, we're talking back in about 2013, um, at both the Mariinsky and the Bolshoi, and they both all said, I think you can skip the corps de ballet, we, we're going to make you straight away a soloist, and we're going to give you leading role. Wow. That's how big a talent she was, and one of the first people who gave her 
a leading role, by the way, was Meryl Ashley in Diamonds when Balanced Jewels was staged there. Meryl wow. Ashley crazy about August Mianada, and I think we're talking 2014, maybe earlier actually, because I was in Moscow in 2014 and I already saw Smianova dancing with David Holberg in Marcus Spada and something. So I think, didn't Meryl say about Smirnova that she was the only person she's ever met who worked harder than herself, than Meryl? <laughs> That's not possible. Oh, how funny. <laughs> Amazing. To give you another nice Meryl story, we're going to talk about Lourdes Lopez um, and Miami City Ballet soon. But um, Lourdes Lopez has been working. She's on the Ford Foundation in America, philanthropy, major money, which will try to help artists uh, seeking home work in the West. And when she went to the Ford Foundation recently, the woman she went to, whose name I forget, probably said, <gasps> I think she came to Miami and she said, is that Meryl Ashley you've got working there, staging jewels? She was my great inspiration in the 70s. Oh, I love that. <laughs> a ballerina who danced 40 years ago can leave a major impression on somebody who's now in important philanthropy. Right. right. Yeah, that's one that. of the greatest lessons about what the arts can do in people's lives. Mm-hmm. So what is the, the reality for um, Ukrainian dancers at the moment? I mean, Certain cities have been so heavily attacked and bombed. And, um, you know, I would imagine dance is not able to go on there. But I was reading just this morning in the Washington Post about the, the theater in Odessa. Uh, they, they have um, completely barricaded off. The military is basically taken over, but they are still hoping to be performing um, some new work at the end of the month. So is, is wow. it just it, it's varied city to city or are Ukrainian artists... And I'm trying to remember which city it is, um, but I posted on my social media a few days ago where Swan Lake is happening. And it looks one of the nastiest Swan Lakes I've ever seen with a hideous Z formation, which looks like Nazi itself. But this is, of course, in long Russian occupied part of Ukraine, not part mm. that is freedom. Uh, You mentioned Odessa. The thing that I found so moving is really an opera connection that its chorus stood outside the opera house, I think at the weekend or earlier this week, and sang the great chorus uh, that Verdi wrote in, I think, 1842, which was the great anthem. Well, he wrote it for the opera Nabucco. It's called Va Pensiero, which means hope please fly on golden wings and take off from our despair we captives uh and go until you find the wings of peace and bring us to freedom it's the chorus of the enslaved um israelites in babylon uh looking for freedom and it became the great anthem of the italians when italy was occupied by two different foreign states in the early 19th century verdi became the great hero of what's called the italian risorgimento by writing this was the first of his great choruses in a series of operas that are really about political freedom now in odessa this chorus spotted the resemblance and they sang you can see it on social media the pensiero and it's a wonderful anthem that begins from very quietly and it seems to have just a steady, calm waltz rhythm underneath it. And then it builds to this fantastic crescendo and climax and then ebbs gently away. But you have gone somewhere in your soul as you listen to it. We've seen beautiful examples of that on social media, just of, I mean, that story is beautiful. I haven't seen that, but just a woman playing the piano in the middle of a square where people are trying to evacuate, uh, a child singing, just all these moments that remind us 
how important art is and how it can touch people in such a moment. Ratmansky just yesterday, I think, or I certainly reposted yesterday from Ratmansky, a, a male dancer who has died uh, and been killed. And that's heartbreaking. And it looked, at least in the photographs, a really beautiful, inspiring dancer doing leading roles. Mm-hmm. Um, we, there are famous images now gone what, like wildfire for two weeks now of a man and a woman member of the main Kiev, what's it, the Kiev National Opera uh, and Ballet Company. Uh, one woman has taken up arms and one man. I think he's mainly employed as a medic, but he's doing a lot on social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see her really holding what looks like a, a machine gun, a rifle or whatever. So that's extraordinary. Um and it's fascinating to get into the social media because you go back and you look at what they were doing until a month ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, you learn a very different kind of ballet company or ballet repertory that they have in Kiev. And that's fascinating. This woman, she's not, she's not like us in the West doing lots of leotards and tights ballets. She's, you know, she's doing character roles and she's often the clown of the company and she dances Lady Capulet in Romeo and Juliet. She does one of the supporting roles in Don Quixote and so forth. And it's all characters and they all, she looks jolly. She looks a lot of fun. And now she is in, in khakis and holding guns and speaking several days each week about the plight of her country. That's so, so tragic. Um, we've been referring to Olga Smirnova, but for anybody who hasn't heard about this clearly, this important prima has now spoken out about the importance of peace and how she cannot remain in Russia in these. It wasn't quite clear that she didn't remain when she said it, but she spoke up very firmly and how she deplored the action of the country. I think we now realise by the time she said it, she had left the country and several of the people who have spoken out have got at least to Estonia, if nowhere else. With Smirnova, within a short while, Dutch National Ballet was able to announce that it had signed her on, and she will be joining them um, in making her debut in Raimonde. Um, all, as far as I know, all the Western dancers who had joined with the Bolshoi, the Mariinsky, the Mikhailovsky, other companies have left. Um, perhaps the most famous of those is my compatriot, Xander Parrish of the Mariinsky. Um, there's another man who's, is he from the United States or from Latin America? I can't quite remember. He's a soloist, I think, with the Mariinsky, and he too has joined the um, Dutch National Ballet at the same time as Smirnov and never mind. So everything is getting is moving. When I'd been, I I just recycled all this on social media. I thought all I can do is just pass on to all of my followers, such as they are, um, all the news I'm finding. And I'm sure there's plenty I'm missing. Um, I'm following whatever way I can instinctively. But after a very few few days, um, your old boss, Lourdes Lopez head of Miami City Ballet, said, can we speak? And we had a Zoom conversation, and she said, look, I'm on the Ford Foundation, so I am well-connected in terms of philanthropy and big money, and I'm talking to other heads of nonprofit organizations, and I want to get more involved. But I think we could be talking about major finance to help displaced dancers. She said, I suppose we're concentrating primarily on Ukrainians, and primarily on dancers, but I'm very keen to hear of 
all kinds of artists. And I'm kind also keen to hear of Russians who are displaced and getting out, and indeed Western people. She was very quick to try contacting Xander Parrish, mm-hmm. um, who is in limbo at the moment because he married six months ago a Russian wife. She's from Siberia. And though he could go with his passport straight back to his native England, his wife can't because she hasn't got um, visa clearance. Uh-huh. So they are waiting, as I understand it, for a British visa interview of, on her behalf, um, I think next week. Mm-hmm. And then if she's married to an Englishman and they have to wait, they, they would have had to wait two weeks before they got to that stage. Imagine what it is like for people who have no visa of any kind. Right. Sure. You're lucky if you can get to Estonia, but the rest is a muddle. Uh, and every Western country is panicking about immigration. What do you do when three million people are leaving Ukraine in a hurry? You know, so my own country, Britain, I think it's reconsidering radically, but uh, nonetheless, it's very keen on not having a lot of immigrants at the moment. That's part of what Brexit was all about. Right. Uh, I, I regret, I deplore that, but nonetheless, that's the politics of our day. Mm-hmm. I, I have to say that when I was reading this article about the the opera house in Odessa, it was just making me think of naturally already the comparisons we draw are to Second World War, the last major European war. And I remember one time I sat next to someone uh, at a donor function of Miami City Ballet, and she was from Dresden. And she was talking about how Europeans appreciate art differently, and it's because they had it taken away from them. And she said the very first thing anyone in Dresden wanted when we were rebuilding the city was the opera house. So it's so to me, it's so moving to see them defending this little jewel of an opera house in Odessa. It's like, you know, it's their pride and joy. And um, it's such a moving thing to see. Such a wonderful point. I mean, I find, I, I consider myself European and I'm very anti-Brexit. Um, but I have to say that the British and just about every other European have different views on history and identity because we're just about the only nation in Europe that has not been occupied for centuries by an alien force. Almost mm-hmm. everybody has had major civil war or foreign occupation or whatever. And that means your sense of continuity as a nation uh, is so different. You've worked through defeat, uh, just questions about what your nation is for. Mm-hmm. You know, if how fragile democracy is. The British have not seriously had to worry about democracy for a very, you know, centuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really the Americans are the same, but that means most Europeans look at your nation and mine and think they don't know. They just don't know. And by the way, that reminds me of when I was first in Russia in 1984, in the old Soviet Union days, uh, I was 28 years old, and I was aware, no matter if I was wearing blue jeans and white shirt and nothing else, sneakers, whatever, if I went on the metro, the, the underground train, uh, subway, um, everybody would just stare at me. And you'd have these old ladies, and they would just, almost no expression, but you were, they would just look me up and down, and it wasn't in a look of approval or even envy. And every day I think, well, I must be just too glamorous. I'm wearing too smart a shirt or whatever. <laughs> we try to dress more grungily every day. And 
gradually it didn't matter. I was sometimes worse dressed than some of the Russians, but nonetheless, every eye went straight to me. Mm. Uh, is it? And then I gradually realized, and I don't think I'm projecting, that all of them just knew from the way I stood my body language that I came from a land of freedom, mm. um, which they in 1984 did not have, but they also looked at me as a kind of decadent. And I always used to imagine that they were saying, freedom, it's wasted on the free. <laughs> mm. I'm, I'm curious. They've lived through so many different aspects of history. God yeah. knows who remember that feel like now speaking about history this is all kind of making me think like if we've really had I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head of a political moment like this like of course covid change has changed everything but that's across the board but here's a political moment that will change art i mean the world obviously but it, it will change art and it will change ballet for decades to come alistair how are you envisioning that just as we're seeing it start already, just by seeing these dancers move to different places, if they're going to other countries, if this wonderful Ford Foundation um, initiative continues to get up and running and helps these dancers, how will this change dance in other countries and art really? Well, who knows? I mean, it will, in the good sense, it could bring us some of the best of Russian ballet and Ukrainian ballet. Um, but please notice I've straight away said Russian ballet. The truth is, you know, Olga Smirnova is a great artist and so forth, but she's coming from a, a relatively privileged, peaceful condition. And what is going to happen? In a, everybody in the West now is going to be able to cherry pick what's going to happen to the people who've had jobs in Ukrainian ballet, who aren't the most talented people in the company, but their theatres are being bombed and so right. forth. That's the tragic situation. Mm -hmm. One of the people who has spoken out uh, is a choreographer and has already left uh, Russia. And as I looked to his previous choreography on YouTube, I thought, well, I'm sure there are going to be countries in the West that like your work. But the truth is, it's not my kind of stuff. Your aesthetic in Russia is so different. I'm glad you've got integrity to get out. And I like you as a person, but... I suspect I wouldn't like you as an artist. Hmm. Um, that's so tragic. I don't know. I mean, why, what does it matter me being snotty about my petty aesthetics mm -hmm. of the world crisis? But I'm afraid we do. And we will be cherry picking. I don't say we necessarily, but all companies will be. Sure. Right. Um, you know, let's hope this is, who knows? I, 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 you know, of course, we all hope that sooner or later there's going to be some coup in Russia and Putin will be replaced in the next two to five years. He's led his nation to the brink and there are so many anti-Putin people in his own country. But that is perhaps wishful thinking, isn't it? Mm. If, well, uh, if he succeeds, he may control both Russia and Ukraine and both countries are ruined. My, well, like you said, it is, it's easy in these moments to feel small or... Um, like you you can't personally affect any change but what are some of the ways you think that right now people that are just dance lovers could um help those artists in need and and what what are some of the best strategies or well some of ways i think most of us in the dance world more than in other arts do social media and i think it is just important i'm not saying to stop the rest of your life but just amid 
your post saying I'm dancing Swan Lake tonight, whatever, also to say my heart goes out to people in Ukraine. I do not take my liberty entirely for granted. I could be one of them. I think just to show awareness is so important, and I am distressed that quite a lot of eminent artists in dance in the West have not yet spoken out, including some people who have had successes in Russia. Uh, I'm trying not to name names, but I'm really angry and shocked in some cases. Um, they, they, I'm speaking of influential people in a way far more prestigious than me, who I think could help to bring money to the cause of right. Ukraine, or Ukraine, sorry, uh, against Russia. You know, that's the first thing. And the most important thing, the other thing is just to put out, uh, there is a gala happening in early April in New York for Ukraine. We've got one happening pretty soon here in London, sooner than that in March. Just follow your own Ukrainian artists. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a small Ukraine dance company that got stranded in America. There's a bigger one that got stranded in Paris. Those people will be looking for work. Find out about them. Look, see what you can do. Um, you what know, about Lourdes's work with the Ford Foundation? Is there ways yet that people can get involved to donate to help um, those initiatives? Or is it still kind of something that's developing and in the works? I think it's still developing. I know she's spoken to them and I know she would like to, you know, get more wind in her sails about it, but they're all still at an early stage. It's not just Lourdes, of course, who, was, who will certainly look for one or two people that she can add to the small ranks of Miami City Ballet, but she would like to get many more American companies involved. The truth right. is, most ballet companies, and I'm afraid a lot of the state program ballet, uh, not just dance, but most companies can only find room for one or two more people this year while they're reconsidering their new uh, it's a right because the timing too. I mean, most right. companies have already let's budgeted and hired, and most of your listeners are American. Let's just say, let's pressurize your local company. You know, at some point during 2022, you'll be looking for, shall we say, two new artists, five new artists, whatever. Please, can you consider? And this is a big thing. Uh, if you think of the consequences for Americans, can you consider taking on Ukrainian or possibly Russian and not just your usual American person? Mm -hmm. But it sounds wonderful as we say it, but I bet there are a few American dancers graduating this year. Oh my God, you're depriving me of a job. You know, you're going to give it to a Ukrainian. So we're in heartbreaking situations all around. I'm sure. afraid. It's difficult. Of course, it's complicated. Uh, that's, you know, that, 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 that makes you feel just terrible that a world crisis like that affects people at so many levels. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm so aware here of dancers who have already missed a year, who graduated, let's say, in 2020 and couldn't find jobs because COVID, there was no... Sure. Right. I know, for example, in the very street I'm living in, in London, one girl who just finally, after a year and a bit, managed to get a job with English National Ballet. But now people like her will also be thinking, well, this company may be taking on Ukrainians now. How permanent is my job going to be? And companies are already suffering after COVID too, financially. Well, I'm following most keenly, uh, by the way. One is 
connected to Britain and one's connected to America. Uh, there's an important soloist with English National Ballet called Katya Kanukova, um, and you can find her name and post went on my own media. Um, I keep reposting them. But she's a soloist with English National Ballet, but she's Ukrainian, mm-hmm. and she's very active to try to find out what's going on, passing on several times a day in her stories as well as in her posts, uh, the tragedies in politics, in the military situation, but also with whatever funds are going on, the the gala dance for Ukraine that is coming up here in London. Mm -hmm. And the other one is somebody who I think is one of your own interviewees, and that is Anna-Sophia Scheller, the ballerina who was for 10 or more years with New York City Ballet, and then moved to San Francisco Ballet. Now, I'm not quite sure at what point she became Ukrainian, but she regards herself as Ukrainian and as having a home in Kiev. As it happens, she is not in Kiev. She's dancing as a freelancer in uh, Italy at the moment. If The last time I followed her, which is probably a day ago, she's in one of my favourite cities, which is Palermo in Sicily. But really, just as a guest ballerina, her heart is with the people in Kiev, in mm-hmm. Ukraine, and she's posting, again, several times a day about what's going on. And it's a fascinating example of Somebody who's having a lovely time in Italy. She's not saying the world is a bad place if you're in Sicily or whatever. She's loving that. And she's dancing and she's enjoying her party. And she is full of anguish at the same time for what is going on. Mm-hmm. And that's really an example, I think, of how we should all be. Don't destroy your own happiness. Enjoy your life, but also be aware of this terrible situation. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming on and helping us bring light to this. And it's obviously it's something we'll... I mean, of course, we hope that it resolves sooner rather than later, but it's something we will be continuing to cover um, as it's pertinent to our world. And we hope that all these Ukrainian dancers and um, artists will find a new home that um, is safe, first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Please keep us posted on what you're hearing. And if there's more things, maybe we can revisit this conversation. If there's more um, ways that people can help and more things, ways, things that we can bring to light and spread more information. Um, I know our listeners want to hear about that. Bless you. Well, meanwhile, let's everybody just put pressure at what they can on their local companies to make a difference, to open their ranks to displaced people. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Alistair. Love to speak to you as always. All right. Before we um, wrap up today, we just wanted to share some COD news with everyone. Um, Mikey, we're going to do another listener survey. We haven't done one. When was it last time? It was two years ago, maybe. Okay. But um, it was, uh, we were so thankful to everyone that participated. We had almost 200 people um, write in with, um, not only their you know demographics and where they're from and all that good stuff, but also just giving us good suggestions. A lot of which we were able to follow up with um, later on in future episodes. So it's funny. We hope I was everyone looking, will participate. Yeah, I was looking at some of them today because we pulled it up, and I was like, oh, we check, check. Like not everything, but we got to do a lot of things that people um, suggested, and of course the information about um, who you are, why you're associated, or how you're associated with dance and ballet is really helpful to us and helpful um, when advertisers reach out to us, anything like that. So just so we have a better understanding of who you guys are out there and we love hearing from you too. So um, we're going to start the survey today. 
It will be on our website, conversationsondancepod.com. Um, we're going to be running it through April 1st. So you have a couple of weeks to go ahead and fill that out. It's only going to be a few questions. So it should take just a few minutes of your time and it's greatly, greatly appreciated. Um, we'll also have it on our social media too, um, if you're looking for it. So we really would appreciate it if you guys went ahead and did that. We look forward to hearing from all of you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.